Welcome everyone to Fair Territory. I want to thank everyone for giving us a couple of days to get things sorted out. We wanted to do a true World Series preview show, and we are going to do it. And believe me, I am taking this show seriously because there is an important job opening in Major League Baseball media today. We will get to that. I think you know what I'm talking about. I, I'm talking about the dog's job. Christopher Mad Dog Russo. It's opening up, man. Sirius XM. Maybe I'll go back to the network, work with Alana Rizzo. Who knows? We're going to have a lot of fun today. This is a lot of fun, what is going on in baseball right now. I'm sure some Phillies fans are rather upset. I get it. I'm sure some Astros fans are rather upset. I get it. Dodgers fans, all the other teams that were upset. Yes, it's frustrating. But it's quite an interesting turn of events, is it not? And I'm going to open today by beginning with a litany of complaints that we hear from fans about baseball, oh, just about every year. I'm sick and tired of seeing the same old teams in the playoffs. I don't want to be force-fed the Yankees, the Dodgers, the Red Sox, the Astros. I'm not watching this World Series. I'm not watching baseball. The lower payroll teams stand no chance. Well, ladies and gentlemen, this World Series is for you. The Texas Rangers have not been to the World Series since back-to-back -back appearances in 2010 and 11. They didn't win either of them. They've never won a World Series in their franchise history. The Diamondbacks have not been to the World Series since beating the Yankees in a seven-game classic in 2001. So I would say we have some different teams here. Now, yes, the Rangers did spend big, more than $800 million in free agents the last two years. They added Scherzer at the deadline. They have gone for it. Sixth highest opening day payroll. It got even higher. The Diamondbacks? Not a big money team. 24th in opening day roll. This is who they are. They've been, oddly, for a team that plays in Phoenix, one of the 10 largest cities in the country, a low-revenue team in regard to Major League Baseball. So let's take a look at some things that are percolating around this series, some reasons why this series is so unusual, and it's unusual in many ways. But let's start here by looking at just where this is in terms of combined winning percentage for World Series teams. You look at it. This is the lowest combined winning percentage for World Series teams in the sports history. 537, Rangers and Diamondbacks. Next, 545, the 1973 A's Mets World Series. 546, the 2014 Royals Giants World Series. And there are some other teams as well in that mix. The 97 Marlins and Indians. 551, 2006 Tigers Cardinals. On and on and on. 1987 Cardinals and Twins. That was my first World Series. It went 7, 556. Now, just because these teams haven't necessarily won doesn't mean it would make for a bad World Series. It could be highly competitive. Now, let's keep going here. The 2023 Diamondbacks are just the third team in Major League history to make the World Series with 84 wins or less. Yes, that is true. 1973 Mets, 82 wins, lost the World Series. 2006 Cardinals, I don't remember if people were whining about them, but I'm sure they were. 83 wins, won the World Series, and here are the 2023 Diamondbacks with 84 wins. Another remarkable thing about this postseason, you'll see it right here, is how unsuccessful the home teams have been. The road teams, the lower seeds, are now 22-14 and 14 in this postseason. 6-11 winning percentage, that's the second highest entering the World Series since the playoffs expanded with the wildcard era behind 2010, after 2010. So this is the second highest. Okay, this is what you get. You expand the playoffs, 
you get some teams that are less deserving, that might not have been as dominant in the regular season. The Rangers were a good team in the regular season, no question. And they lost the AL West title only on the last day. The Diamondbacks were an okay team. An interesting team, a surprising team, a team that capitalized on the new rules, but they weren't anyone's idea of a powerhouse or World Series contender. But again, you expand the playoffs, you invite more people to the party, you run the risk of a guest or two showing up drunk. And that seems to be what has happened here. But I'm here to tell you, this is a good thing. It's good for the sport. Now you might say, and I'm sure you will say, Ken, you're shilling for Fox. You're just trying to get people to watch the broadcast. Now, I'm not a shill. During the Rangers Astros series, I had people who root for the Rangers telling me I was an Astros shill, which was rather interesting analysis considering that most Astros fans can't stand me because of a certain story that The Athletic broke in 2019 about a certain team that stole signs illegally. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. When it comes to the concept of shilling, and it comes to the concept of me shilling for Fox. Yes, guilty. I am shilling for Fox. I do want people to watch the games. But you know what really I'm doing? I'm shilling for baseball. Because if you are a fan of baseball, a true fan of baseball, you are going to want to watch this series. This is a series that I'm sure will be getting low ratings. Because fans in the East are saying, I don't care. And maybe fans in the West are saying, eh, Diamondbacks, they don't really qualify as a West Coast team, I'd rather see the Dodgers or the Giants or any of those teams. Well, you can't have it both ways, folks. You can't say all the time, man, this sport is just tilted toward the big market teams. That's all we're ever shown. That's all we ever see. And I don't want to see it anymore. Well, here are two different teams and two interesting teams and two teams with star power. The Rangers, for sure, got Adolis Garcia and Corey Seager. Max Scherzer, Nathan Avaldi, Jordan Montgomery. You've got Marcus Simeon playing in his first World Series, one of the great veterans in our game. For the Diamondbacks, Cattell Marte, Corbin Carroll. Zach Gallen, Merrill Kelly. Evan Longoria playing in his first World Series since 2008, his first in 15 years. Now, as my friend Jason Stark said a couple of weeks ago, he told me this while we were discussing an article I was writing. Jason said, if you don't want upsets, if you just want the two best regular season teams in the World Series every year, then don't have playoffs. But we have playoffs. And no one should be apologizing for this matchup. No one in baseball, no one at Fox, no one on either team. These are the two teams that got here. They are the best teams in October. Doesn't mean they were the best teams in the regular season. And they earned this. So if you're a true fan of the game, someone who truly relishes the sport, it should be a lot of fun. Okay, a couple other things here I want to get to in this first block. The Astros. People have been debating whether they were a dynasty or not. I'm not going to get into that. I don't care. They've had a great run. Seven straight appearances in the ALCS. It's been amazing. Now, if you want to say good riddance to a team that stole signs illegally in 2017 and 18, that's fine. I get it. A lot of people are still upset by that and should be. It was one of the worst scandals in Major League history, maybe the worst in some ways. But keep in mind, the last four seasons, the entirety of the Dusty Baker era, were played under stricter rules regarding electronic sign stealing. Couldn't be doing it the last four years. I guess you could be doing it, but I seriously doubt they were doing it. 
and yet the Astros remained a powerhouse. Now, the question coming out of this is, what's next for the Astros? As I said on the broadcast in Game 7, they're at an interesting crossroads. Dusty Baker, as Britt Giroli and Chandler reported in The Athletic, is not coming back. They've got Altuve and Bregman, two guys entering the final years of their current contracts. They'll be eligible for free agency at the end of next season. They're both represented by Scott Boris. Scott Boris clients, as I've said many times before, and as you guys know, do not generally sign extensions before free agency. Not unless they get full market value. And that's difficult to do when you don't know what the market is exactly. They've got other players, too, with two years left. Kyle Tucker, Framer Valdez, each has one year remaining beyond 24. They're signed through 25. Verlander could be next year and the year after as well. They've got Lance McCullers coming back next year. They should be good. Will they be as good? Do they face the potential of losing one of their true superstars in the next year or two? Sure they do. So it's going to be interesting to see how the Astros come out of this. They don't have a great farm system. They traded two of their best prospects for Verlander. Dana Brown is a guy, as the GM and a former scouting director, who might be able to rebuild quickly through the draft. But again, quite an interesting set of circumstances facing the Astros. The Phillies are in the same boat. Nola is a free agent. They've got some other things they have to look at as well. But they are more set and more solid, it would seem to me, for the years ahead. All right, finally, there's been a ton of news this week about general managers, managers, movement all over the place. We have the Red Sox set to announce the hiring of Craig Breslow as their chief baseball officer. It's an interesting hire for sure. Craig is a Yale graduate who's a major league reliever for 12 years, joined the Cubs front office only in 2018, right off the playing field, was the director of pitching, then the assistant general manager, a guy who's considered really bright for a team that, above all, needs to fix its pitching. And that is Craig Breslow's principal mission now that he's taking over the Red Sox. Not an experienced guy in terms of being a general manager, obviously, or president of baseball operations, chief baseball officer, whatever you want to call him. But the Red Sox essentially want him to be their Chris Young. Chris Young, the Rangers GM, was also an Ivy Leaguer, also a former major league pitcher, and has done great things with the Texas Rangers, has been really aggressive, and yes, with big resources, fixing the Texas situation. Now, as for the managers, this might surprise you. It actually surprised me this morning when I kind of made this list. There are still openings with, in no particular order, the Guardians, the Mets, the Angels, the Brewers, potentially, if Craig Council doesn't return, the Astros, now that Dusty Baker will be stepping down, and, of course, now the San Diego Padres. Yes, the Padres. Now, on September 19th, Dennis Lynn and I of The Athletic wrote a story, a long story, headlined, The Padres' Disastrous Season Reveals Shaky Foundation and Institutional Failure. In that story, we had an unnamed player using the words institutional failure. We had a former staffer saying the environment was the most toxic. And we had another unnamed player saying the relationship between manager Bob Melvin and general manager A.J. Preller was unfixable. Unfixable. And then at the end of the season, A.J. Preller, the general manager, held a news conference. And at that news conference, he said some pretty interesting things. 
and he made reference to what had been written. Let's go to some of these quotes here. Here's the first one. Bob is our manager, and he's going to be our manager going forward. I think both he and I, a lot's been said, obviously, in the last few weeks, but both he and I are very excited about the challenge of getting this team, you know, back to the postseason next year. That was one quote from A.J. Preller. Here's another. I think the anonymous quotes and the unnamed sources, I just don't, we don't give any credibility to that. Okay, A.J. Preller, you just let your manager go to the Giants, a division rival, because your relationship with him was, guess what, unfixable. You let him go without compensation after two seasons, the first of which ended with an appearance in the NLCS. And now you're going to be hiring your sixth manager in 10 years. Sixth. That includes an interim, Pat Murphy, who was basically the guy who replaced Bud Black in June of 2015, managed the rest of the year. Six managers in 10 years. I will tell you, folks, most GMs don't get nearly that many. So enough of the kumbaya in San Diego. It was not kumbaya in San Diego. And you know what? That story we wrote, Dennis and I, we should have gone even stronger. Time now for the Inside Dish. This is the segment in which I go inside a story I've written or a trend in the game or refer to something that has been ongoing for a couple of years now. And you'll see today in The Athletic, I wrote a column in which I started by saying, I'm not going to take credit for the Arizona Diamondbacks going to the World Series, but I sort of should. Now, obviously, I'm going to give you a warning right now. This entire segment, like the entire column, is tongue-in-cheek. It's fun. It should not be taken literally. You should all calm down. I've already seen some comments about the column. People saying, can't stop writing about yourself. Give me a break. We're just having fun here. Now, here's what we're talking about. So, a couple of times in the last few years, actually at least twice, and it might have even been more, I wrote favorably about the Diamondbacks in the early part of the season. For whatever reason, in 19 and 21 in particular, I was kind of interested by what they were doing. I thought they might be good. Wrote favorably about them. And that began a running gag with their general manager, Mike Hazen, who would basically, after that, plead with me, mockingly, not to ever write about them again because each of those seasons did not end entirely well. In 2019, when I praised the Diamondbacks for not tanking and for hanging in there, they had a good season. They finished 85 and 77. Actually, that was the year they drafted Corbin Carroll. They had nine of the first 93 picks. Good year overall, but it was not what I thought it might be. And Mike Hazen was basically saying, hey, you could have calmed down with the praise. 2021, on the other hand, that was not so good. 2021, I wrote in April that the Diamondbacks could emerge as a surprise contender. Well, lots of things could happen in this world. That was one that didn't. That was a case of an incredibly poor analysis. The Diamondbacks did not emerge as a surprise contender. The Diamondbacks, you might have heard, lost 110 games. So Hazen at this point was like, stop it. Stop it. Just don't write about us ever again. And on June 1st of this year, when the Diamondbacks were 33-23, and 23, or one half game behind the Dodgers in the NL West, I sent Hayes in a text. I said, hey, warning. It's getting to the point where it would be professionally irresponsible not to write about your club. 
Now, Hazen, obviously sensing that I was plotting something here, maybe an in-depth look at the Diamondbacks' turnaround, wrote back, please don't. The Reds are the hot team. Okay, so we go forward. Obviously, the Diamondbacks stayed at least in contention. They had their ups and downs like any other team. And for the most part, I stayed away. A couple of notes here and there. Jason Stark wrote a really good story early in June, I believe it was. It was about the Diamondbacks, the Reds, and the Orioles, three surprise teams capitalizing on the new rules. So, again, I didn't really see fit to write anything. Come September, I did combine on a feature with Will Salmon of The Athletic about Tommy Pham. Diamondbacks had acquired him at the deadline. I don't even know that I would count that as writing about the Diamondbacks. It was about Pham. So, around that time... I was talking with Mike Hazen on the phone, probably for that article. I can't remember exactly the circumstances. And I joked with him, hey, man, you owe me a public apology. You discouraged me from writing about your team. You basically wouldn't let me write about your team, told me you wouldn't cooperate with me writing about your team. And here you are on the verge of going to the playoffs, and you need to apologize. We were kidding around. The whole thing was kidding around, obviously. So basically... Hazen and I joked about it, and we agreed that he would not make a public apology. And then I sent him a text maybe a week later. They were doing well. And I said, you know what? That public apology might be in order. Well, in any case, I didn't really write about the Diamondbacks this year much. I can't take credit for this. They deserve all the credit for this. We're kidding around here. What they have done is remarkable. These are the teams they have beaten in sequence in this National League playoff so far. The Brewers, National League Central champions. The Dodgers, National League West champions. The longtime nemesis of the Diamondbacks and every other team in the West. And now the Phillies, the team with the unbeatable crowd, the team that could not be toppled at home. Diamondbacks went into Philadelphia, down three games to two, and they somehow won the final two games. They've got a lot of spunk, this team. And they've got a lot of talent, too. And they've got more coming. One of the better farm systems going. So I look forward to seeing the Diamondbacks, not only in the World Series, of course, but going forward over the years. And as I ended my column today, I couldn't have stopped them if I tried. Time now for Dude and Dork of the Week. Some pretty obvious choices this week, if you ask me. I'm going to go with the two MVPs of each league championship series. Of course, I'm talking about in the American League, Adolis Garcia. What he did in that series was absolutely remarkable. 15 RBIs. That's the most ever in a postseason series. We talk all the time about how expanded playoffs kind of skew the statistics, how you can't use really counting numbers because there are more games and players can compile more numbers. Well, a seven-game series is a seven-game series. We've had them forever in this sport, going back to the olden days. And Adolis Garcia had the most RBIs ever in a postseason series, 15. 13 of those RBIs were in the final four games of the series. Nine were in the final two games. Think about all this. And think about the circumstances. Game five of the ALCS, you know what happened. Three-run shot, go-ahead shot by Garcia. The series tied 2-2. He gets drilled by Brian Abreu. He turns to Martin Maldonado. The bench is clear. They empty. The bullpens come running in, as they always do. And Adolis Garcia, from that point on, becomes villain number one in Houston, where this series returned to for games six and seven. 
What happens in game six? He strikes out four times in his first four at-bats. And then, with the boos growing progressively louder all night, he hits a grand slam. And that set the stage for game seven. Four for five, two homers, five RBIs, MVP. I wrote it. This guy now must be considered a superstar in the sport. And I got some comments back. Ah, 824 OPS, only ranked 20. Stop it, guys. Stop it. You don't have to be in the top 10 OPS to be a superstar. And yes, he's a flawed player in some ways, even though he's a brilliant five-tool talent. Adolis Garcia, due to the week, superstar in the sport. In the NLCS, Cattell Marte, kind of a similar story. Like Garcia, he's 30 years old. Garcia made two all-star teams in his career. Cattell Marte's only made one. He's been a really good player for a long time, but just one-time all-star. Well, what has he done? in winning the National League Championship Series MVP. He is a guy who has a 16-game hitting streak to start his postseason career. Now, of course, that spans before this series as well, but here it is. Sarah Langs gives us this. 16-game hitting streak tied for the fourth longest in postseason history behind Manny Ramirez, 2003-4, 17-game hitting streak. Derek Jeter, also 17 games. And Hank Bauer, 1956 to 58. So if Cattell Marte gets hits in the first two games of the World Series, he'll have the longest hitting streak in the postseason ever. It will be 18 games at that point. That's an amazing accomplishment. And really, it's good to see him get his due because guys do get lost a little bit in Arizona. He's had a little bit of inconsistency, Cattell Marte. He's bounced between second base and center field. But he's their guy in many ways. And he's a guy they acquired... You go back to 2016. They acquired him from Seattle with Taiwan Walker. That was the trade for Mitch Hanniger, Gene Segura, and Zach Curtis. I would say now we can safely say it's a win for Arizona. It's a good trade for both, actually. But Cattell Marte, great performance. They needed some veteran stability with this team. Now, Evan Longoria gets a lot of credit for that. But Cattell Marte has been around, too. And he had a great series. NLCS MVP. Dude of the week, along with Odolis Garcia. Now, the dork of the week, oh, I've been waiting for this. We're going to rename this award just for one week only in honor of our honoree. We're going to call this the dog of the week because who other than Christopher Bad Dog Russo could be the dork of the week? There's no other choice. This might be the most obvious choice we've ever had. And it's the first time that I can recall I'm giving this award to a friend of mine. I love the dog. Used to work with him in MLB Network. We had a blast together. But let's take a look at what got this all started. Christopher Mad Dog Russo on his Sirius XM radio show. I've been wrong in Arizona from day one. I, I, a, I'm stunned to beat Milwaukee. I thought they'd get swept by the Dodgers. I never thought they'd even go back to Philly for a game six. Uh, I'll try it one more time. I would not be stunned if they won tonight. I would be floored. Fluid. And I'll say this right now. Just uh, I'll say this right now. And Bob Raceman, write it down. If they win the next two days, they win the next two games and win this series in seven games. If they win, I will I will retire on the spot. Well, I believe there's an opening. There is an opening right now this morning on Sirius XM. Now, Bob Raceman, who the dog referred to there, he's the New York Daily News longtime media writer. He's held the doggy accountable over the years. 
Basically, Doggy challenged him. Write it down. Challenged everyone. Mostly challenged the Diamondbacks, who had a good deal of fun with this, as they should. Starting with before Game 7 last night, when Tori Lovello met the media. But I would love to see him quit if we won today. <laughs> you know what I mean? But there's nothing, there's nothing better than a wise guy New Yorker saying something and then having to chomp on those words. So that's how I'm processing it, and it'll be great. He's a friend of mine. I love Mad Dog, um, and I know that he's going to end up hearing this, and I didn't want to really get into this, but um, I did. Tori Lovello, a manager who said at the start of the series or sometime during the series, I'm keeping receipts of all the people who have doubted us. Well, the dog was the lead doubter, as it turned out, and the clubhouse last night included this interesting scene. Does it get any better than that? The dog has been humiliated. He went on Howard Stern this morning, talked about what he might have to do rather than retire because he's not going to retire much as everyone might wish for it. Alana Rizzo is not taking over high heat on her own. Now the doggy will be with us. And really, the only proper way for this to end would be game three of the World Series. Doggy strolling out to the mound and throwing out the ceremonial first pitch. He's the inspiration. He's the Diamondbacks guy. Their mascot, so to speak. So, if it was me that was on Christopher Russo's show today, and I had made this prediction that the Diamondbacks would lose and I would retire on the spot, you know what the doggy would say? Kenny, Kenny, bad job, bad job, just a bad job there. Well, doggy, you gotta wear this one. But you'll wear it with pride. You'll wear it with your usual good humor but you're going to get this award. Christopher Russo, dog of the week, dork of the week. Give your playoff game face your best look with our new sponsor, Shady Rays. Shady Rays is an independent sunglasses company that has a world-class product just as good as all the expensive sunglasses that are out there. They have durable frames and extremely clear optics for outdoor adventures. And what really separates them is the best protection plan in the industry. If you lose or break your pair, on day one, even on day one, they will send you a brand new pair, no questions asked. And if you don't love your Shady Rays, you can exchange them for a new pair or return them for free within 30 days. So you can buy and wear your Shady Rays with the confidence that they've got your back. Now, Shady Rays are giving out their best deal of the season. Go to ShadyRays.com and use the code F-O-U-L for 50% off two plus pairs of polarized sunglasses. Try for yourself the shades rated five stars by over 250,000 people. Time now for Grilling Ken. Let's get to your questions. First from Kyle Davis. Kyle asks, is it fair for fans outside of Houston to hate the Astros for what happened in the past? Because I do. <laughs> Kyle, I like the question. I try, try not to ever tell fans what they should or shouldn't think. Fans have every right to think what they want to think. That's kind of the beauty of being a fan. You're entitled to your own opinion. Irrational, rational, whatever the case might be. Obviously, a lot of fans do hate the Astros for what happened in 2017 and 18. And yes, it was both years, by the way, to all the Astros fans who were yelling at me for saying 18. It's fair to hate them because they effectively stole the World Series in 17. And maybe you're a Yankee fan or a Dodger fan and you feel your team was slighted. Now, 
It's come to light in later years. Those teams are doing some funky things too. Read Evan Drellick's book, Winning Fixes Everything. But no team had a system of electronic sign stealing, illegal electronic sign stealing, as elaborate as the Astros. This is the thing Astros fans sometimes forget. Nobody was banging the garbage cans but the Astros. So is it fair to hate them? Sure, if you want to hate them, hate them. But what I've said, and the reason why other fans are calling me an apologist for the Astros, is you have to have everything in context. They were not found to cheat in 2019. 2020, new rules come into effect, much stricter rules. They've kept winning. So you want to hate them for those years, the years that they cheated, sure. But you have to respect what they've done since then. As I said, in the Dusty Baker era, they've lost a lot of the players from those teams, and yet they've kept it going. It's been an amazing run. All right, now to the next question. From Mills. Mills asks, hey, Ken, why do teams hire both a president of baseball operations and a GM? If the president of baseball operations makes all the decisions anyway, why would someone want to be their middleman and why spend money on another employee? This is a good question, Mills, and I know a lot of fans get confused by this. First of all, what effectively is happening is that the old system is still in place. GM, assistant GM. But now they call it president of baseball operations, fancier title, more money, and they call it a GM, fancier title than assistant GM, more money, in part at times because they want to keep guys from leaving. They want to give them promotions. That's one reason. The other thing that we should keep in mind here is that front office responsibilities have expanded over the years that you need more than one person to effectively head an organization. So yes, the P-O-B-O, as you call it, the president of baseball operations, that is the main person, the main decision maker for an organization. But a GM has an influential and important role if he is working under one of those guys. And with all that this job entails, and it's not simply making trades and picking guys off the waiver wire, it's running an organization the farm system, the scouting department, the international scouting, all of the different things. It's a two-person job. Final question. This one comes from Matt Anderson. <laughs> Who will be the next manager of the Mets? Matt, a few of us writers were talking about this at the ALCS, and it was an interesting conversation. Craig Council is the obvious choice. He is with the Brewers, or his contract is expiring with the Brewers, he could return to the Brewers, but he also could go to the Mets and work for David Stearns. It would seem that that would be the thing he would want to do if what he's looking for here is a great financial package. And Council, from everything I've heard, does want to establish a standard for managers, at least raise the bar. Managers are underpaid. Council was a guy who was very active in the players' union as a player, and he is conscious and mindful of trying to improve the lot of all managers. So that's one thing. Does he want to go to the Mets? Does David Stearns want to hire him? And that is perhaps an equally important question because Stearns is coming into the Mets and he might have his own ideas about what he wants to do. He might want a manager who is less experienced than counsel, a manager who would be, frankly, easier to control, share his collaborative vision. I'm not saying David Stearns is that kind of guy, but all presidents of baseball operations and GMs now want a manager who's going to be on the same page, don't necessarily want an independent thinker. And Council and Stearns seemingly had a good relationship in Milwaukee. I don't know that it would be any problem. But 
counsel comes in, he's correct counsel, man. He's a big guy, big time manager. If you hire a lesser person, someone who is not as established, you can, yes, exert more control, have him implement your vision, perhaps in a stronger way. The danger in that strategy is if you hire in someone, the danger in that strategy, if you hire someone inexperienced, is you're hiring an inexperienced person to run the New York Mets. I don't know that that's a good idea. So if I had to bet, I would still bet counsel, but I don't know that I would be surprised if David Stearns went in a completely other direction. Looking ahead, it's the World Series on Fox, folks. I'll be traveling to Texas on Wednesday night. I've actually been home for less than 24 hours. To Texas, then to Arizona, and maybe back to Texas again. I am looking forward to this World Series. I'm not just shilling, as I said in the first segment. I am looking forward to seeing these two teams play. Arizona is a fun team. Texas has got an incredibly deep lineup. Max Scherzer, Jordan Montgomery, Nathan Avaldi, a lot of interesting players on both clubs. We're going to be talking about them on Fox. We'll be interviewing them on Fox. I might even go into the dugout. I know it's sacrilegious. And maybe interview a player after he hits a home run or something like that. So that's what we're looking forward to this week. One more thing. I want to bring to your attention a cool event that is coming up. It's in honor of someone, in memory of someone who was near and dear to me, near and dear to a lot of us. Someone who is, in my case, a professional inspiration, someone I came up with in my early years, we kind of the same age, someone who I miss dearly. It's this guy. It's Pedro Gomez. This is the book that we put together. Steve Ketman, his best friend, put it together. A lot of us contributed to it about our memories of Pedro. And he was just a special person. He was not only that, he was an absolutely fearless reporter. And that's what I draw inspiration from him to this day from. So this event, it's the Pedro Gomez Golf Tournament and Auction to benefit the Pedro Gomez Foundation. They're hosting a golf tournament and auction on December 2nd at the Whirlwind Golf Club in Chandler, Arizona. If you sign up for the golf tournament, you get breakfast, golf, a drink ticket, range balls, golf balls, and a golf shirt or a windbreaker or a Yeti. There will be live music, cocktails, and awards afterwards along with the auction, and all proceeds go to student scholarships. You can use the QR code on the screen for information and to sign up. I attended the Pedro Gomez Foundation event, I believe it was last January. It wasn't a golf tournament, it was just an event, and it was quite something. And they're doing some really good work to help young journalists come along, people who want to be like Pedro. So I encourage everyone to support the foundation. Maybe go to the golf tournament if you can. Pedro was one of a kind, and we need to keep his memory alive. All right, thanks to everyone for listening, for watching. You know where to subscribe to us, YouTube, Spotify, Apple. Find us wherever you get your podcasts. And I can assure you, we are going back to our regular schedule. Or at least we're going to try next week on Monday. We're going to have the show on Monday, the morning of Game 3. It will be, I guess, taped in Phoenix. Much to my surprise and everyone's surprise. Look forward to seeing you guys next week. Hey, get in on the action with the FT fam at BetMGM. New customers use the bonus code FOUL, F-O-U-L, for a $1,500 first bet offer. Download the BetMGM Sportsbook app on iOS or Android or visit BetMGM.com. Sign up and deposit at least $10 into your BetMGM Sportsbook account. Place your first wager and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if the bet loses. If that bet does lose, your bonus bets will be available once your initial wager is settled. 
Gambling problem or concern? Call 1-800-GAMBLER.